Hi guys, Catherine here. In case you're wondering, yes, I am still recording from my bedroom closet. This season, we've been catching up with chefs and restaurant owners about what reopening in Boston has meant for them and finding out how we can show our love and support to these small businesses that play such a vital role in our community. I also wanted to remind you to keep your eye on thefoodlens.com. We have patio guides and takeout guides, so whether you're craving pizza or fried chicken or sushi, we have got you covered. On this week's episode, I'm going to be chatting with Sarah Crawford from Broma Bakery. And if you're not familiar, Broma Bakery is not an actual place. It is a food blog. And Sarah is based in Boston. She has incredible dessert recipes. She takes the most mouthwatering pictures. And I just can't wait to hear about, you know, how she started this business, what it's like being a full-time blogger. And of course, especially with the holidays coming up, I want all of her tips and tricks for baking the most delicious desserts. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. After the interview with Sarah, stay tuned to hear from Garvey Solomon from Parlor Sports and Trina's in Somerville. This is the next installment in our series of short conversations with folks in the restaurant industry. We're going to ask them about how their personal and professional lives have changed because of the pandemic. Before we get started, I just want to take a minute and talk about 90 plus sellers. I don't know about you, but over the last several months, the pop of a wine cork at the end of a long day sounds especially sweet. 90 Plus Cellars is a Boston-based wine company, and you'll find their wines in retail shops all over New England. They work with highly rated wineries from around the world to bring you great value. Yes, you can uncork that delicious wine for under $10. But I especially love their reserve collection. It hits that $15 to $20 sweet spot. These wines are a step up in quality and come from some of the world's greatest wine regions. I love that you can browse by region on 90plusellers.com. And I love to try wines from Sancerre or the Russian River Valley. They have wine from all over the world. You can also search by varietal, whether it's Sauvignon Blanc or Pinot Noir that you're craving. Their wines are available in stores across Massachusetts and New England, but I'm always looking for ways to cut down on shopping trips these days. So buying wine online at 90plusellers.com couldn't be more convenient. They also have a quarterly wine club, which is obviously a great deal, and you never pay for shipping. Is there anything better than stocking up on your favorite wine from your couch? Get 10% off your order with promo code THEFOODLENS at checkout. That's 90plussellers.com. Check out our show notes for more info. So today I have Sarah Crawford on from Broma Bakery. Thank you so much for, for coming on the Food Lens podcast. Thanks for having me. I love podcasts, so this is great. And I love your podcast, too, so (laughs) even better. Why, why thank you. Well, I was just scrolling. I have a confession to make. I was just scrolling through your blog, and it made me so hungry that I just ate ice cream for lunch. No, you didn't. Here's the evidence. Here's the evidence. Wow. I mean, call you influenced, right? (laughs) (laughs) I was straight up influenced. Not influenced enough to actually do anything, you know, creative and um, homemade, but enough to really start craving some chocolate because you've got some like serious chocolate content happening. A lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So tell for people who are not familiar with your very popular, beautiful blog, tell us a little bit about Broma Bakery and how it got started and and kind of your story. Yeah. Um, so I started my blog really as a creative outlet in college. I was um, a sophomore at the time. And I was at NYU and I was just so like depressed with being a normal liberal arts student. (laughs) So um, I had done photography in high school and 
it was all analog photography. So, you know, film cameras, black and white, really um, diving into composition and like, you know, the masters of photography and all of that fun stuff. So I got to NYU and um, obviously NYU has a really great like film and, and photo program. And I saw all my friends doing really creative things. And I was like, wow, I should, I should definitely stop just sitting around. And I decided to pick up my camera and start photographing food. I, I was always like in our house growing up, my mom would always have so many baked goods around. And so it was really just this merging of those two things of really enjoying sweets and and wanting to pick up a camera. So I did it as a hobby for maybe, um, I think four years on and off. And by on and off, I mean like some, some weeks I would post three times a week, some weeks or some months I wouldn't even post at all. And then I was in the restaurant industry for a while and really doing just a bunch of front of house stuff. Um, I was hosting, serving, managing, catering, social media. Um, and I got really burnt out. And it's so weird to say that like as a 21 year old, I was burnt out, but I mean, you know, the restaurant industry is, <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I worked in the restaurant industry for, yeah, for, for a long time. It's, it's intense for sure. So I quit cold Turkey one day. I was really just in this bad spot in, in the place I was at and, and I quit and I went home and I Googled how to make money on a food blog. So I, even though I had done my blog as this hobby, it was never something that I thought could be a career or I really had an idea of how financially, um, you know, possible blogging was. Um, and so I just started hustling and Googling everything <laughs> and seven years later, here we are. That's awesome. And so seven years later, so what year, I thought, sorry, was it two, 2010 you started the blog, I thought? Yep. So I started yeah. in 2010 and then I went full time in the Got end it. of yes, 2013. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. And so I'm curious, you know, the blogging landscape has changed so much and it seems like there was sort of a time when like everybody had a food blog and then I feel like, you know, in the non-blogging community, maybe people were shifting more to social media, but now I'm seeing like some really excellent blog content again. And I don't know if that's just yeah. me because I'm home and I'm I'm looking more, but I'd love to hear about like your experience in the blogging community and how it's changed. Absolutely. It's really interesting because I, I think to to very much generalize blogging started out um like late late like 2007 8 9 I would say and then started to really gain traction like 2010 11 12 13 um but at that time I mean blogging really came out of a lot of women being at home and not having uh much to do um or feeling like they wanted something um more than just being at home whether that was you know with their kids or or their family um and so it's interesting because when there was that I guess you could call it like the first wave of blogging. It was very much just about putting out amazing recipes. Photography was not anywhere close to being important in terms of making it in the blogging world. So you see all these sort of like first generation food bloggers, if you can call it that. Um, and they have these massive followings because they've been around for so long, but um, they are more focused. And again, this is very generally on on recipes. 
And then you started to have this wave where, especially as Instagram came along, it became that blogging was more popular and you needed some way to stand out that was not just recipes. And so photography started to really come into the fold in terms of being a a staple of food blogging. Um, And it was a way for people to stand out amidst this like ever more populated um, uh, community and, and niche. So... So things really, really started to shift there. And now I think we're at this point where it's, you have to have insane recipes. You have to have amazing photography. And then there's sort of this third wave that's like all about vulnerability and authenticity. And whereas it used to be about just sharing recipes and you were just this vehicle to share recipes and and to share photography now it's all about having that personal feel right where you feel like you're connected to the person who you're following and so it's really it's been really interesting to watch that shift happen i mean in such a short amount of time really yeah that's amazing and i'm curious how you know how do you how have you navigated that shift? Do you like putting more of yourself on the blog? And also, given the pandemic and everything, like more recently, has has that changed at all the way you're you're you know communicating with your with your followers? Yes, I mean the pandemic absolutely has. I think, but the first part of your question, I think, in general, especially in the digital space, it is so important to just constantly be not just like watching and listening to trends, but be adapting. So um, I think like when I started going full time, I was very much focused on, okay, how many like recipes can I create that are just like overly indulgent and overly insane because those are going to get the most hits. Those are going to get the most likes on Instagram. And now it's shifted to... um, having like recipes that are super SEO friendly. Um, so just adapting my business in that way, I think I've never really had an issue with because I very much see what I do as a business. And I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't think all bloggers do. I think a lot of bloggers do blogging because they just like really like it and that's totally fine. But I think one way that I've been able to sort of navigate for a relatively long amount of time in this space is to really do that. And I mean, I love sharing my sort of more personal life on Instagram and my blog. So it doesn't bother me at all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But in terms of the pandemic, I mean, I think I, I guess I would respond twofold. Like one thing that's really interesting is that in general, the influencing space and the digital media and digital marketing space has taken a huge hit, just like so many other industries. But it's been really fascinating. The food industry has not. Um, I mean, of course, there's smaller um, companies that are struggling, but in general, food bloggers are still like going hard because all people can do right now is cook and be at home. So, um, I, I'm really, I'm really grateful and I'm really lucky that it hasn't affected my business negatively. I mean, if anything, it's been more positive. Our page views have tripled, um, since the pandemic and people are just, I mean, people are going towards food. Yeah. I mean, it's like one of those 
it's one of, like you said, it's one of the few sort of comforts that we have right now. And, and it's been strange to see how well food CPG and grocery and everything is just kind right. of booming, whereas it's been absolutely heartbreaking with, with restaurants. It's the whole mixed emotions of seeing some people be able to do really well and then other people struggling. And, um, but just being inspired by how people are kind of pivoting and, and figuring it out. Um, speaking of, of the business side of it, I love that you're so transparent about the fact that this is a business. And I think talking about generalizations, sometimes there's this idea that, you know, it's all mommy blogs yeah. and it's just about like, I don't care. I'm just home cooking for my kids and which is great. But so many of those really are real businesses, but maybe at this point they kind of have a facade as if they are not. Mm. So I, I'd like to just hear a little bit more about, you know, how that's been being in that blogging world. And do you find that the business community is into connecting and sharing and stuff? Or are you unique in the fact that you're pretty like upfront about that piece of it? Um, I mean, I don't want to give myself too much credit by saying I'm unique, but I will say that it, treating blogging as a business is, is not as much the norm. I, I mean, I think it's more becoming the norm because people do realize how lucrative it can be. Um, but, but it's definitely not what the majority of, of bloggers, um, I would say do, um, mm-hmm. Although, I, I mean, I, I want to be careful about generalizing. But yeah, I mean, and then in terms of a broader like business community, I, I would say, I mean, part of this is being a woman, um, but I would say like people people don't understand and I don't fault them for not understanding how like food blogging works as a business, but it is really interesting. Even people who are founders and entrepreneurs, there's still this like learning curve where you feel like you kind of prove yourself and mm-hmm. sort of like throw out your accolades if you want to like hang with the boys. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. And and again, I, I think so much of that has to do with the fact that blogging is such a new industry. But it's also indis- interesting that like influencing now in general has this pretty negative connotation a lot of the time. <laughs> and it's you don't say <laughs> yeah yeah and it's it's really fascinating to me i mean i think of course i'll see influencers and i'm like oh my god you're i don't want to watch this like come on but i think that there's actually more influencers out there than people really realize that are like absolutely hustling and absolutely treating what they do as a business and I hope that that stigma changes over time. That's interesting. So would you, do you proudly wear the label influencer or is that something? Absolutely not. (laughs) No. (laughs) I was like, you don't really like it, but yeah, that's. No. (laughs) Well, you're also, you know, you're not just, as someone who, you know, comes from like a food development, recipe development background and food styling, but not so much the photography, like you can see the work. I mean, you're. Your blog is so beautiful and so professionally done, uh, which is, I believe, another part of your business is you teach people these sort of skills. So can you tell us a little bit about that arm of the business? Yeah. So um, I also have an online food photography school. It's called Foodography School. And I started that in um, the the end of 20... Gosh, I don't know, 2017, 2018, like relatively recently. Um, And... The the whole reason it started was because 
I for years would have people asking me how I photograph, even when I felt like my photographs weren't good at all. But it was really fascinating to see so many people asking the same question over and over and over again. Like, how do you style? How do you photograph? What are your props? Like, where do you shoot? How do you set up for a shoot? What camera are you using? All these things. And so I I first started out doing a few in-person workshops just to see, like, test the waters, see who I was at teaching. Um, and they all went really well. And I, one of the person who came to one of the workshops was like, you should do this online. Like when you're doing an in-person workshop, you're totally limited by the number of people attending. And also it's, it's really expensive to put on. And so you're charging this really high price point where you're like, okay, like, I don't know how I feel about the fact that I can only reach people who can spend $2,500 for like three and a half days of, of teaching er, and learning. So I started this online food photography school and the way that we really made it different from everything else that was out there was that I was really focused on teaching food photography equally as a skill and as a business. And I really merged those sort of two parts of this like sphere into this, this one main course. Um, and it just boomed and we have had, um, I think 60, 6,800 students go through it so far. Wow. Yeah. And it's been really great. And we've now expanded to, um, other courses. We have an advanced course. We have a restaurant photography course. Um, we have a smartphone course. We have a styling and editing course. So it's it's been really amazing. And I love the fact that not only can I have my blog and do that sort of thing. I know all of you guys listening are just on audio, but like I'm shooting something in the background right now. Um, I was wondering what was going on yeah. back there. I was like, is that a mirror? Is that a no, diffuser? It's a like, diffuser. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's been really great to like not only have my business that is very satisfying for me to to grow and to work on, but to be able to actually see this course change people's businesses and like change people's lives. It's it's really really gratifying. We're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors and we'll be right back. With the holidays coming up, I wanted to take a minute and talk to you guys about Curdbox. So Curdbox is this amazing monthly cheese subscription. It's from the owners of Curds & Co, which is an incredible Brookline cheese shop. Matt and Jen, the owners, have a couple of cheese shops in Boston and they are fantastic people with great taste. So these curd boxes. They feed enough for two to three for dinner because sometimes, I mean, let's be real, we just want to eat cheese for dinner or six to eight for nibbling. And they come with three different artisanal cheeses. They have some accoutrements, little specialty food snacks. And they also come with a dedicated Spotify playlist and they have a Curdcast podcast. They also throw in some wine pairing cards so you know exactly what to sip with your cheese. So check out curdbox.com and use the promo code FOODLENS at checkout for $10 off your first order. That's curdbox.com and use the promo code FOODLENS for $10 off your first order. So for, since we have you, um, the amateur, you know, Instagrammer, like what are the top three things people are doing wrong? We were just like, no, no. no. Like what could, what are three things that we could do 
to improve our food photos? Okay, so the number one is you have to be close to a window. Like, it kills me when I see all of these food photos and people are like eight feet away from a window. The biggest thing with food is like, you need to make it look 3D. And the way that you make something look 3D is by having a combination of highlights and shadows that creates that 3D look. And so the closer you are to your window or, you know, whatever light source you have, the the stronger that shape is going to look and it's going to look like it's popping off the screen. So go towards a window. Always, always, always. Um, number two is if you're photographing on your smartphone, I would always stick to either being straight on or being completely overhead. Smartphones have a really, really wide lens on them. Um, and so that means that your food can very quickly look too small and also like really distorted. So Uh, when you stick to photographing, let's start with overhead, you're basically making it so there's no distortion because it's all just going, your, your perspective is going in one direction. Which is like such a popular shot too. Like I think about back in the days when it was like all like the blurry food in the background and like, and now I feel like, you know, it's all like hands straight down anyway. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, but the same thing with, with being straight on. So being like right in front of your food and then just having then a vertical sort of surface or, or background, um, because you just want to cut off that distortion in any way. Um, oh my gosh, the third thing, um, use editing apps. Um, I will always shooting on my phone, use either Lightroom mobile or Snapseed or Visco. Um, so those are, I want to say they're all free. Lightroom mobile is, uh, you know, few dollars if not. Um, and they just make such a difference in, in the final output of your photo. Amazing. So we can try those things. And then when we need more, we will go to bromabakery.com yes. <laughs> and sign up for a photography course. Yes. Beautiful. Um, beautiful. And then we got to talk about baking because yes. fall, yes. winter is coming. I don't know about you, but a lot of us, I think are feeling like the weight of, especially this winter and some delicious sugary carbs are kind of like all that we might want. So what is on the blog that's so great right now that we should oh my be gosh. Okay. So I have a pumpkin bread on the blog and it is just a classic pumpkin bread, but oh my God, it is so good. It's so, so perfectly spiced, very moist. It's put together in one bowl. I love like one bowl stuff. Just make it easy for yourself. So uh, pumpkin bread for sure. Um, We just had a chocolate brownie cookie go live and it's Mm. basically like, I mean, it's a brownie in cookie form. It's just so dense, so fudgy. I absolutely love it. Um, and then, oh my gosh, let's go with a cookie. Um, we also have pumpkin chocolate chip cookies that we recently, um, put out and I'll preface that with saying, I hate pumpkin cookies because they're always so puffy. And so this recipe, it actually doesn't use an egg. So you end up losing that puffiness and it just is super, super fudgy. Um, clearly I like, like fudgy things. (laughs) Yeah, that's your texture. It's I'm, into, so it. Good. I'm into it. Yeah. That's awesome. And then like kind of the same thing I did for photography. What are a couple of I'm much more of a savory cook than a I have a horrible sweet tooth, but I'm not a huge baker. Um like what are some baking do you have, you know, just a couple of baking tips if people are gonna start tackling some of these recipes? Okay, so I think the first one is 
always take things out of the oven before you think they're ready. Or I guess a better way of saying that is whenever a recipe says an amount of time that you should cook things for or bake things for, I would set a timer for 10 minutes before that. Um, or if it's cookies, like five minutes before that, but if it's something bigger, like brownies or cakes or breads, 10 minutes before that way, you can start to check because ovens are notoriously different. Um, Mm -hmm. and so it makes it so you don't end up with a dry baked good. I mean, the worst thing is spending all this time, energy, ingredients, money, and then having something be dry. So yeah, totally fudgy, not dry. We want fudgy. (laughs) And then, um, I would also say, I mean, understand that like baking truly is a science and when somebody tells you to measure a cup like you should measure exactly a cup which means you know scooping out whatever the ingredient is if it's brown sugar pat it down all the way so it's nice and compact if it's flour a really good tip is you want to you can just take the measuring cup when you stick it into the bag of flour just fluff it up a little bit because flour is so so dense when it's shipped and packed um, and then once you scoop that thing up, take a knife, take the back of like a butter knife and just scrape it on the top of that measuring cup so that you have a perfect leveled cup. So measurements are so important. So, so important. And, um, I guess the last thing is if you can like use high quality ingredients, um, mm-hmm. you don't have to do it with everything. Like, I myself just buy regular flour. I could buy expensive flour, but we're testing so much that we're like, okay, this is what most people are going to have in their house. But like, I will always spring for high quality chocolate, um, real vanilla extract. It just makes such a difference in your baking. Yes. Yeah. Are you going to have a a store, like an e-com store where we can get all of these things in your blog? <laughs> <I> <laughs> like, where know. am I going to buy this Garfield chocolate or whatever you think I should have? I know, I know. I know. One day. Wouldn't that be great? Just make it yeah. easy for people. Yeah. Like a little Instacart button where you can just order all of the things. That would be yes. Yeah, so. Oh, or, yeah. or if you could just like show up at my house with a plate of the cookies oh, okay. already baked, yeah, yeah, that would yeah. be perfect. Thanks. <laughs> you can figure out how to scale that, right? Yeah, totally. Uh, this is awesome. Uh, well, I mean, that's kind of all that I have for questions. Is there anything else that you wanted to share that any kind of project you have going on or? No, I mean, we're so basically photography school. We um, have had our signature course going for two years, and we're completely redoing it just to keep it fresh. So I'm really excited about that. That's going to come out in January. So keep an eye out on that. Um, I'm just baking up a storm on the blog otherwise. (laughs) Yeah, we will keep. How often do you update the blog? Um, Right now we're doing three times a week. Wow. And and I did want to ask, when you say we, who do you you have? Oh, yes. Is it you or do you have help people helping you? Like, this is quite the operation. Yeah. So um, on the blog side, I have uh, one girl named Sophie. And she, I mean, at this point, she's basically running the blog. She's doing recipe development. She's writing the posts. Um, She's basically doing everything. Um, So she, she's an amazing recipe developer, but it's fun because we'll, we'll really come up with concepts together. And then when, once she develops, like we both are the taste testers, we're both like trying everything out. So, um, it's nice to like have somebody else taking that on, but still feel like it's like something that I have a hand in. Um, (laughs) and then on the photography school side, we have, uh, a team of, um, four main, 
uh, women and then like some other random contractors, like a Facebook ads person and, and yep. all that fun stuff. So yeah, it's, it's a mini operation. <laughs> awesome. That is so cool. Yeah. Well, I'm congratulations, Sarah. I'm so glad to hear that you're doing well, even in these, these crazy times. And I'm really excited to, uh, maybe I'll bake that pumpkin bread with my, oh my, my four-year-old this weekend. I've like, been talking about pumpkin bread. So oh, now I know perfect. what recipe to do. Done. Yeah. I'll send you a picture and I will try to follow your rules so that it is not, <laughs> it is not poorly lit or distorted. Perfect. Perfect. Done. Thank you so much, Sarah. It was nice meeting you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. My name is Garvey Randall Solomon. I'm from Somerville, Massachusetts, uh, born in Cambridge, raised in Somerville. And my position at Parlor Sports is manager and bartender. I'm doing all right. There are good days and there are bad days. I think the bad days are more on on the sense of, of kind of like letting my mind wander like, a, hey, this could happen. I don't think it's being pessimistic or cynical if you say our restaurant could close. Uh, something could happen where... We might not be able to open till June. I don't know if places can be closed for six months. I don't know of a place I could go. <laughs> so I, in my mind, I'm kind of like, if that happens, what would I do? People are going to realize quickly this winter, possibly, if we do go into quarantine. If you don't have something going on during the times that you're off, you know, I, I think seasonal depression is a real thing. <laughs> it's it's weird because, like, good chance basketball won't happen. I'm coaching basketball for the last almost 12 years now, always kept me doing something even on the days that I was off. And now I won't have that and and maybe possibly won't really have any work. I think that's a real adjustment that I think I have to really take some time in the next couple of weeks to figure out what am I going to do. I'm not going to buy a Peloton, like, you know what I mean? I just know, not that I guess Peloton, I I got nothing against it, but I'm just not going to do that. But I need to do something. And so I've been trying to really work with doing a lot of creative things. And I've always kind of did a little bit of like sports fictional writing and stuff like that. A lot of people who do know me know I love, you know, graphic novels and comics. And I thought of other things to to kind of maybe stoke me back into doing a little bit of writing. Um, I, I really do try to say, listen, I got a roof over my head. I have a steady source of income. The staff is very kind of like, hey, all we got is us. Let's all support each other. Like, you know what I mean? If if someone needs a ride somewhere, like, hey, to be really careful, how about I pick you up and and get you to work? I don't even have to work today, but I'm not doing anything else. I'm hanging out at home, but you know what? I can help you out so that that helps out the team. Foodlands podcast is hosted by Catherine Smart and produced by Isaac Price Slade. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe and share the show with friends and family. Your help means so much to us. And as always, check out thefoodlens.com for the best restaurants and bars in Boston.